Hello and welcome to Additive Insight, your source for news, interviews and comment on the latest 3D printing and additive manufacturing intelligence brought to you by TCT. On this week's episode, Casey Melvin, co-founder and co-CEO of The Future of Jewellery is our executive interview guest. Melvin co-founded The Future of Jewellery with sister Janine back in 2017 with a mission to democratise jewellery through 3D printing. To do that, they developed a platform that allows customers to easily customise and create personalised jewellery products, starting with signet rings at a more accessible price point. On this episode, we discuss how a weekend getaway to Spain became the spark of inspiration for founding the company, how 3D printing is making a traditional form of jewellery more accessible, and so much more. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And for more additive insight, head on over to tctmagazine.com to get your free print subscription to TCT Mag and get the biggest 3D printing news stories of the week delivered straight to your inbox. Hi, Casey. Thanks so much for joining us today on the Additive Insight podcast. How are you doing? How's your day going so far? I'm doing really well. Thank you for having me. I appreciate coming on the podcast. And I'm really excited to be catching up with you today. For our listeners who may not already be familiar with Casey, Casey is the the co-founder of The Future of Jewelry, um, an online jewelry customization platform that leverages 3D printing. Casey, you came from a completely different background uh, to 3D printing and and, and jewelry design. And there's a really great uh, real use case story behind the founding of this company. Can you just tell the listeners how you got started? Absolutely. Um, So my sister and I, uh, my co-founder Janine and I, we founded The Future of Jewelry five years ago. But before that, we absolutely had no plans to either become entrepreneurs or to be really anything besides um, working attorneys at this point. Um, So in 2016, my sister and I um, both had just finished up our first year of law school um, in Ohio. And because we had worked in the law for a few years before um, we entered law school, we wanted to take that first summer. It was kind of our last opportunity before the real world hits and you have to start studying for exams or studying for your boards um, to become a certified attorney. And you need to start lining up a, a job um, once you become accredited. So mm-hmm. this first summer, um, we decided we wanted to study abroad. So we both um, applied and were accepted to a comparative law program in Oxford. And this was the first time that we had ever um, really studied abroad or really traveled um, anywhere outside of the United States. Um, So we were really, really excited for it. Um, So we, uh, it, it was the summer of 2016. And the first day we actually touched down in London before we traveled up to Oxford, um, it, it was Brexit. Um, so it was just like absolute uh, chaos and just like really a um, a crash course in uh, geopolitics of the mm-hmm. region. Um, and so we actually had a few field trips that we went down um, to Westminster Abbey. And, um, you know, we basically got to see some really interesting things in real time. Um, but so that summer, my sister and I took advantage every weekend of the low easy jet fares and we went kind of the cheapest flight we could get every weekend. We just wanted to take advantage of being in the proximity to Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the one weekend we uh, found ourselves in uh, Mallorca, Spain, and uh, my sister and I wanted to buy something together because we had really become close as sisters that summer. We were having just the time of our lives and we wanted to buy something together to mark the occasion. Um so we happened into this really small 
family-owned jewelry store on the streets of Majorca. And my sister and I were looking around the different cases. Um, and as I said, we were going to be lawyers, so we can't really wear like, you know, really obnoxious jewelry. It has to be kind of like standard professional. Um, so she found this plain gold signet ring. It was very simple. Um, and, sh and she really liked it. And she said, that's something that I could, you know, wear day to day. And it will remind me of our, our experience together. Um, so the, the owner took it out of the case for us to try on. And my sister, Nina, she has really, really dainty, small fingers. Um, and it, it was way too big on her, even on her, her biggest finger. Um, so I, I said, Hey, Nina, I'm going to try it on. And it fit me perfectly. Hmm. Um, so, so we decided I was going to purchase it and we would try to find her one in her more distinct size later down the line. Um, so we watched the owner hand etch my initials into it. And that was just an experience in and of itself. And we were asking questions and, you know, he was just being really generous with his time and showing us the process. And it's really an art um, because signet rings have been around for thousands of years. Um, so this is something that has been around forever and it's just a really classic piece. Um, so, so we finished out our summer, finished out our semester, traveled back to Ohio. Um, and I started doing research um, to try to find a similar plain gold signet ring that we could get in a similar style that would match, um, that we would have to match each other. And I was doing, so I could not find one comparable in price, material like price quality um and in her distinct size hmm. um so so i approached nina that um that holiday break the winter break of 2016 and i told her I, I, that you know this doesn't exist i'm actually shocked that something like this doesn't exist already um so we started to look into whether this was something that we could be a first mover advantage and maybe um bring this product that we love so much to the masses um, so that's kind of the backstory um, of the signet ring that really inspired the future of jewelry. Um, so in February of 2017, that's when we actually decided to take the leap um, and to incorporate and to, to start this journey of trying to create, um, to recreate this product that we love so much. And, and as I said, we didn't ever know we were going to go into entrepreneurship and we didn't have any background in 3d printing all we had was this product that we were trying to to bring to the masses um so we got some early advice um from the billionaire mark cuban i started emailing everyone when we decided to do this to get any advice we could um, and he gave us some really valuable advice that really shaped the early trajectory um, of our company so he basically told us um concentrate on your core competency um, and outsource any of the manufacturing at the beginning because your core competency is that you want to make custom jewelry accessible. Mm -hmm. So concentrate on your software platform and, and kind of allow, you know, outsource the, the manufacturing. Um, so that, that's exactly what we did. And over the past five years, um, we have built out an, an extremely functional, uh, lightning fast, jewelry customization platform. Um, so if you go onto our website right now at custom.thefutureofjewelry.com, it'll bring you to an interactive 3D signet ring customization platform that is very user intuitive and easy to use. So basically you have um, you can go on our website, select from like about 19 different shaped templates of rings. Um, and on that platform, you can select the material 
um, we can generate up to 125 different sizes. Um, and then you can add any type of um, customization you want to the ring. Um, so we basically recreated what we um, encountered in that Mallorcan jewelry shop. And we put it into the a web platform where every single piece is made to order using 3D printing, leveraging 3D printing technologies and, and different existing technologies like casting um, to create one of a kind pieces um, at, at a, an affordable price. Because if you think about how custom jewelry is created from for thousands of years, every piece used to be custom before mass production. Every piece mm -hmm. was made by a craftsman, a very highly skilled craftsman um, with, with, you know, years of expertise. Um, and that's why that's what makes some custom jewelry so expensive because it, it requires leveraging an artisan skills. So we have automated those parts to bring custom jewelry to the masses where it may have been, um, out of reach before. I've tested the the platform myself. I made a bit of a, a TCT ring just to just to see how it all works, and it really does just take a couple of minutes. And as you say, your core competency is this is this software platform. It's this ease of, ease of use. And I know last time we spoke, you know, you talked about your goal is to democratize jewelry. And I just wonder if you can just elaborate on 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 how you're doing that. Is that more on the design side of things? Is that more about the accessibility of the fact that this is um, quite a traditional piece of jewellery, really, and you're bringing that to an audience that maybe wouldn't have had access to it beforehand. Yeah, absolutely. So that is our goal, is to democratize custom jewellery and make it much more accessible because, you know, before mass production, like I said, every piece was custom and it was very mm -hmm. expensive. So it was out of reach. It was almost a status symbol because it, just wearing something that is one of a kind by by its very nature is you know, expensive and, and creates artisanship. Um, so basically our platform, it's a whole infrastructure that powers our, our supply chain. So when you go into our, our software platform, it's very easy to use and intuitive. It's not just a, a design platform where we take those specifications and then someone else creates the ring. This infrastructure on our back end, when someone checks out, it creates that STL file, that 3D printing file that um, could go into really any machine, any 3D printed or any 3D printer. Um, but that STL file is is really the um, the digital the digital the digital inventory mm. that that powers our our entire supply chain. So um, I, I would say that the democratization comes from the lean nature and the zero inventory um, supply chain that we that we uh, our business model mm -hmm. plus we've also built in some of these features into the platform like for example our dynamic pricing algorithm updates um, based on the size and material that you're using so we're making the exact same margin on every single ring uh, agnostic of size um, or volume so for example um, a if you go on and you select a silver, um, the silver material on our website, it, the price will update in live time. If you change one of the um, one of the customizations, you'll also see that so that uh, price update um, just a little bit. So we're making the precise, the same exact margin on every single ring, and that's another thing that that powers our our um, business model. Because if you think about, if you walk into a jewelry store. Um, especially in those really high-priced precious metals like a platinum or a 18-karat gold, that mm -hmm. those 
and you see a really small ring and you see a really large ring in the different sizes and you can see that there's a lot more material in the large ring but it's the same it's the same price so basically we, we're we're uh, making the exact same on every single ring so it actually you know brings value to the end customer because we're not having this large margin on the smaller ring Today's episode is sponsored by 3D Systems. Here, Sam Green, 3D Systems Professional Printer Category Manager, discusses advancements in polymer materials to increase AM repeatability, productivity, and part performance. I know that 3D printing has been moving for some time now from a predominantly prototyping tool to a manufacturing tool. And the real end game really is for 3D printing not to replace traditional manufacturing, but to support that, adding breadth and depth and agility and complexities are where it's uh, really required. SLS is a great contender for producing uh, plastic, true plastic parts, thermoplastics in PA12, nylons. However, the drawback of many thermoplastic technologies has been the process by which these individual layers of the parts are melded together. So large thermal discrepancies can occur typically across either a single part where you display different mechanical properties at one end of the part and different mechanical properties at the other end. And the same is true if you have a batch of parts. But what we've really done, we've created the new SLS 380 3D printer. And this is designed to deliver consistent and repeatable parts. So we've installed eight individually controlled heaters. And then we've installed a high resolution IR camera that's able to take 100,000 thermal data samples from within the build chamber every second. So the system's algorithm is able to quickly identify any areas where there's high thermal gradient uh, or very low thermal gradient. And then it immediately adjusts the duty cycle of the relevant heater to remove that thermal discrepancy and ensure a more consistent sintering process. And ultimately, this uh, temperature stability creates significantly higher part yields and ultimately a more efficient process and even lower part costs. You guys have talked a lot about advancing the science and one of those areas is photopolymer resins. Can you just elaborate on how you're leveraging that to deliver production grade part performance there? We've been able to develop a series of novel patented chemistries and these have really opened the door to the first true production ready photopolymers for additive manufacturing. So we started this process for the figure four 3D printer with our tough black 20 material. This along with other production grade materials that we've released since then, all these materials are tested to demonstrate that they can retain most of their mechanical properties and typically up to eight years indoor and two years outdoor. 30 years ago, 3D Systems invented the SLA 3D printing uh, technology, uh, which uses a vector laser to scan and cure resins in a vat. In contrast to that, the figure four, it still uses a vat of course, but it replaces that laser with a projector-based imaging system that cures a whole layer at a time rather than point by point. So the great advantage of this is, of course, uh, speed. Figure four is unique in that it is a non-contact membrane technology, which means the part does not come into contact with a transparent layer at the bottom of the print tray. So the end game has always been to port over the revolutionary material advances we've made from the projector-based figure four to our SLA range, such as the Pro X800. Back in July, we launched the first of these materials. It's called the Acura AMX Rigid Black, a high-strength uh, production-grade SLA material with really good environmentally stabilized uh, properties that can withstand years of indoor, outdoor UV and humidity exposure. It's ideal for large one-to-one -one scale 
automotive, consumer durable mounts, frames, jigs, fixtures, or internal frames in things like such as uh, white goods. But taken together, we now have a very powerful solution mix when it comes to resins. If you need small batch quantities of tens to hundreds of thousands of production grade plastic parts, the figure four is an excellent solution. And now if you need large one-to-one scale, large production parts, we now have our SLA platform with the first in our range of Acura AMX materials. To learn more about long-term resin performance and industrial scale SLS workflow solutions, visit mytct.co forward slash 3D systems pod or mytct.co forward slash pod SLS. And so once the customer has gone through this design process, they've, they've created the, this file, can you talk about how the ring is then actually manufactured? Because I know you mentioned it, um, you're incorporating some traditional processes, the, the jewelry casting process. Um, what 3D printed technologies are you using and, and how does that complement the process? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, when we first launched, we wanted to launch in some of the more traditional materials that people are used to seeing. And um, so, and like I said, we were really agile at the beginning. So currently we are using a DLP uh, 3D printing process where we 3D print into a wax resin. Um, It's very highly detailed. It, It gets the best surface finish. Um, And so that's really the process we're using now for creating the 3D printed um, base of the ring. And then we use a much more traditional uh, casting process, um, investment casting process, where we uh, then will cast it into the selected metal, um, sterling silver, 14 karat or platinum. Um, So that's what our process is right now. But like I said, the platform on the back end, that STL file is ubiquitous. So we're always trying to stay on the cutting edge in terms of looking at future materials and future manufacturing processes. So for example, one of the um, factories that we have visited during the course of building this business was in Birmingham. Uh, we, we visited Cooks and Gold where they actually have a DMLS, a direct metal laser sintering um, machine that prints directly into precious metals. Um, so that's something that we could do um, in the future. And it also frees up some more um, design flexibility um, where maybe you couldn't do that with the um, 3D printing and casting process we're employing now. So we are currently just doing a much more traditional um, 3D printing into wax and then casting, but we, um, we're always open to future possibilities and even future materials that haven't been developed yet. Mm. And, and I do just want to mention there, because I know you shared last time we spoke about how uh, one of the first places you really kind of got immersed in 3D printing was um, at TCD Asia um, a, mm-hmm. a few years ago now, where you got introduced to uh, th- this type of technology. So, you know, and the technology must have moved on so much even even since then. So you're right, the possibilities really are um, opening up a lot more now. Absolutely. And I think that was part of the good advice that Mr. Cuban had given to us, which was in just the five years that I've been heavily um, involved in the 3D printing industry and trying to learn every single thing I can in this really rapidly growing industry, um, the machines have gotten um, in just the five years much you know, faster, uh, more accurate and cheaper. Um, and even sometimes the, the footprint except get smaller so everything is being optimized and changed so it really it it would have put us probably at a disadvantage if we had tried to uh, bring our our manufacturing process in-house in 2017 because just the the different 
advancements that's been made in the industry has been so vast. And so we, we've been able to work with some contract manufacturers where, you know, they serve a, a wide variety of clients, but they keep up on the technology and sometimes they get some of the, you know, machines early from the manufacturers. So that's been really key to our success, just being agile and allowing the experts in the manufacturing to do that at that point while we focus on our core competency and we're still open to you know pivoting in the future into different materials and processes. I know there's some other products coming soon that we're going to talk about a little bit later on but for for the the signet rings I'm I'm interested to know what your your customer looks like because I can imagine why you get people that are jewelry enthusiasts you people buying for themselves with their friends I imagine you get a lot of interest as well from people that are coming from within the three 3D printing industry who will have come across the future of jewelry because they understand the, the 3D printing element and have got interested that way. Is do, do you see both of those types of customers? We absolutely do. So it, depending on if I'm at a jewelry event or if I'm at a 3D printing event, um, you know, it my, how I talk about the company will change a little bit, but we have um, had customers both from the 3D printing side of things and just, you know, plain old jewelry lovers. And, and so when we when we talk about the 3D print printing people, they came to us and said, hey, is it possible if you could add a feature that would allow us to download the STL file so we could experiment maybe on our own machine? So it's maybe DIYers or um, people that are experimenting at their work with the 3D printer. Um, so we added that around six months ago. So you can go onto our website, just as I said, and design a completely custom signet ring in your precise size. And for just $5, you can download that file instantly. So it'll be emailed to you, you know, a few minutes after checkout, um, the file that's generated on the back end, and they can then 3D print it on their own machine. So we did encounter that to the fact, to the point where we were, um, it was requested of us to add that feature, and we have done that. And then also on the jewelry lover side, uh, we're serving some different niche areas that the current mass-produced market is not serving. So for example, um, people with really small fingers or large fingers, um, because if you go into a, a jewelry store, maybe they carry six, seven, eight, or, you know, they maybe carry a few sizes that are just in the mid range, but there's some people with really, really um, narrow fingers and some people with thicker fingers that aren't being served. So that's one area that we've also seen. Um, and then also people that just want like commemorative jewelry um, mm. that is, you know, just a one-off piece that would be way too expensive to get um, just one designed for them. So we're, we're serving a, a broad swath of different areas. Um, but yeah, we're trying to serve everybody in one easy to use platform. Mm-hmm. And when we last chatted, you were preparing to launch um, a new product. It's your the wedding band customizer. Um, can you tell us about where that's up to and, and when customers might be able to get their hands on that? Yeah, absolutely. So we're in a limited beta right now where we are at, we actually have generated, um, we've generated a, several test pieces with, with some customers and we're getting really good feedback. Um, we're also getting feedback from them on what other, um, what other features to add. So for example, if you go onto uh, if the, the wedding band app, we have it in a way where the couple can design them together. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically it's a, it's a collaborative platform where, um, each each individual will select their exact band style, size, and material, um, and then their partner will be able to add a message on the inside of their ring that they'll see on on the wedding day. So there's kind of a little like collaborative surprise element um, into it to serve serve couples on their wedding day. 
Um, and, and so we're we're getting feedback to see what other what other um, features to add to it. But we're it's in a beta right now. I think it should be widely released um, Q3 uh, of 2022. Um, so yeah, we we make sure that every product we re- release is you know, completely bug tested and uh, war test, battle tested. So, um, yeah, that's something that's very important to us. And I understand there's there's an element as well where you, you're allowing customers to incorporate NFTs in that too. Is that right? That That's right. So that's actually live right now on our Signet Ring customization platform at custom.thefutureofjewelry.com. Um, so you could go, you go onto the website, um, and you go to the design screen and you'll see different options. You can add your initials. You can upload a logo, um, select icons from our, our lo- existing library. And there's also 3D um, icons in there as well. You could sketch your name. Um, you can look up a geolocation. But the most recent one that we just add is the NFT feature. Um, so all you'll need if you own an NFT, um, you, p- you place your token address and the token ID into the app. And you press fetch and it will actually pull your NFT because um, we've been pulling the data from there um, and it will display it on the ring in real time where you can interact with it and see it. Um, so we're trying to serve the the digital asset community so because it's such a new area and people are really into NFTs. We want to basically serve that market um, in in a way that they can show it off. So people are still learning the ways that NFTs you know, are valuable. Um, and this is one way that you could, you know, display it. It feels like the ultimate level of customization there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's the ultimate swag. <laughs> in our last conversation, you know, we were talking about the the benefits of of, of the platform and the future of jewelry and, and how it, it is changing the supply chain and, and, and the possibilities of, of, of customized jewelry and, and making it more accessible for people. But we also touched on things like the sustainability element and, and how things are manufactured and the fact that, you know, you've got the potential to do this locally if need be or, or on demand and the fact that there's less waste produced as well. Can you talk about the the kind of benefits of that with, with the sustainable view. Yeah, absolutely. So if you look at some of the um, existing entrenched uh, legacy jewelry companies, they on their balance sheets, they hold millions of dollars in expensive inventory uh, on their balance sheets. So with us, we have no, we have absolutely no inventory. We create every single piece to order. And that also gives us the flexibility to have multiple like many factories. So our goal is to localize manufacturing and have every piece of jewelry sold and made in the same country um, that is that it is being sold to. So our software really powers um, that localization and sustainability um, compared to other legacy jewelry companies. Whereas, you know, you're, you're producing ma- mass produced jewelry, maybe in China, maybe in India, maybe in Mexico. Um, and then, you know, shipping it across the world and then having all this inventory on your balance mm-hmm. sheets, you know, it, it, it's not it's not efficient. Um, so our our digitization of our inventory is really the key to powering um, the sustainability element. Mm-hmm. And so lo- looking ahead then, where do you see the, I guess, the potential for the future of jewelry? You know, you've talked about these new products that, you, that you're launching. And what other kind of products would this really lend itself to? And, and in terms of things like um, the localized manufacturer you talked about there, how do you see the future of jewelry expanding in the next few years? 
Absolutely. So we've been focusing on our 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 software platform and our our physical um, products, you know, our signet rings, and we're going to be expanding independence, bangles, things like that. Um, but we also our our big long term growth strategy is to help other companies also leverage some of our tools mm-hmm. to make jewelry buying online easier, jewelry buying and jewelry customization if need be. The other the other. Um, way that we're looking to expand our software is to allow organizations to maybe um, use them as fundraising tools um, so that they won't have to like, you know, buy any like bulk inventory for some sort of gift or or small accessory that's customized and then allow them to also employ our software in that way. So we're looking to to expand digitally as well as, um, you know, use, have more user, um, education as well because you know our our platform and process is so new people are so used to just you know walking into a jewelry store and picking from what exists already there's also that like user training um customer training um element that we're focusing on as well for our growth strategy Mm -hmm. and i think what what comes across as really special about the future jewelry is the fact that you have started by focusing on this very um old you know traditional form of jewelry and you really are kind of bringing that into the future with this new new way of doing things is, is that something that you that you think about and you know the fact that you are taking this very traditional form of art and and putting a kind of digital spin on it absolutely I don't know what other I can't name another consumer company that has is recreating an older product mm-hmm. like a more ancient product because some some think that signet rings actually predated um written hit you know verbal history so Hmm. you know there's this has been used as a a status symbol for literally thousands of years and ubiquitously across many different ancient cultures I mean this is something that is like you know something about being a human and and um, having authentication you know the signet ring that was a status symbol there's something to it and I I don't know another company that is recreating a more ancient product in, in marrying really new technology with some of the most ancient methods of manufacturing like casting mm-hmm. so we're we're marrying the old and new in a lot of different ways and this digital infrastructure really powers it mm-hmm.